You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law Corporation, and with me, yet again, is my co-hostess with the mostess, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, nice to talk to you, kind of from afar, because you've been sick and struggling and, you know, just generally trying to get by in the not-work-a-day world, because you can't work a day when you are sick. Yeah, well, I mean, I worked hard there. I did lots of stuff in the last uh, <laughs> um, last month or so. I've been running hard, and uh, yeah, my son got a cold, and uh, as a <laughs> consequence, I had a tickle in my throat, just like Justin Trudeau had. And yeah, I followed the directions of, uh, of of the medical professionals, just like Justin Trudeau did. Uh, the conservatives were uh, online complaining he shouldn't be going and getting a COVID test, but I went and got a COVID test. Uh, that was speaking of Justin Trudeau, of course, they were complaining. And uh, that was really an unpleasant experience, I can tell you. Yeah. Um, as you know, uh, as I good. thought I was getting, uh, I thought they were giving me a lobotomy or something. <clears throat> and uh, two days later, I was clear. But yeah, my son has a cold and brought it home from school. And uh, we've all been stuck at home with the cold because you can't send kids to school with a cold. No, but you also brought the cold into the office, I guess, before you were symptomatic from shedding virus. So now we've had a number of people at work also out sick. It's been a bit of a, uh, a bit of a, a chit show. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's okay, it's fine. But the interesting thing is that we take all these COVID precautions, and of course the common cold is also a, a coronavirus apparently, but we take all of these COVID precautions in the mm-hmm. office and, you know, the cold that I probably brought into the office has has spread through the office despite all of those things, and it just you know worries you because you could have a uh, you could have a coronavirus White House situation in no time. I mean, I guess I guess I I don't know about like coronavirus White House situation happening at our office because I think we're a little more careful than Donald Trump. I'd like to think we are anyway. No, it's not that it's not the lack of care. It's just the fact that like the cold virus managed to spread, right? Yeah. So despite our precautions, our precautions should work as effectively, one would think, with the coronavirus of a cold as it would with COVID nineteen. And some people still manage to get the cold that, you know, apparently I brought into the office last Friday. Or it's you know, they got it somewhere else and it's just the same or similar cold. True. A lot of this is based on suppositions. You know, the uh, you, you can't see it, so it's got to be based on you know a, a theory. Yeah. Speaking of theories, this is a terrible transition because I'm not talking about theories at all. I actually wanted to talk to you about big news in distracted driving that happened. Yeah, I saw that. I saw it on Drive Smart BC, and I know that you uh, you have a blog post for it too. I think, don't you? Yes, I do. And it's not actually like that surprising the outcome in this case, um, in part because it was a self-represented accused, which is unfortunate. Um, But what happened in this case, um, 
Oh gosh, I don't know how how to how do you pronounce a name spelled G R Z E L A K? Grizzelak. Grizzelak. Yeah. So Patrick Grizzelak uh, was um, allegedly using his phone um, because he was uh, driving home. He'd been on like Zoom calls on his phone all day. He had his headphones plugged into his phone, but his phone battery was dead. And so his phone was sitting in the center console, but he kept his headphones in for some inexplicable reason. The court seemed to accept the truthfulness of all of this. Like they didn't doubt any of it, which I'd be like, why would you have your headphones in? Well, no, they they accepted his reasoning, which is that he wears them all the time and that he likes them just to block the noise of the road. Well, you you shouldn't be blocking the noise of the road, but okay. I, I mean, I don't know that I accept the explanation, but I am not the trier of fact. Um, and so the question was, did him having the earbuds in his ear amount to holding the phone? And the question became, you know, essentially, are earbuds part of a phone if they're connected to the phone? And there was a BC Provincial Court decision uh, where a judicial justice of the peace found that effectively, it's just like an extension of the phone itself. Once it's plugged into the phone, it becomes a part of the phone by virtue of the court. And so the court looked at that decision. They also looked at the Tannhauser case, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, Mr. Tannhauser with the dead, the dead cell phone. Um, and the question of whether or not his conduct fell within the definition of use. And the court ultimately ruled that yes, it does, he was holding the phone by having the earbuds in his ear, even though the phone was dead. Um, and if he had only put one earbud in or removed one of the earbuds, then it wouldn't be a violation of the provision. And the court goes through like an analysis of what is an electronic device and says, okay, well, headphones on their own, earbuds, aren't part of an electronic device, but if they're connected to the electronic device, either physically or potentially otherwise, then it falls within the definition because of its connection to the device. Yeah. So that's very interesting, but it raises a question for me that I don't think this case answers and probably because it doesn't have to answer this question. But the question for me is if that's an electronic device because it's physically connected to the phone, even though the phone is dead, what of those AirPods earbuds or wireless style headphones, which can't be connected to the phone if the phone is dead? Are you still holding the phone in a position in which it could be used? Because the Bluetooth connection is not in place. And I don't have an answer for you. I thought we would have a lively debate on this issue, Paul. Well, tell me your theories, because I don't have an answer for you. After reading this, I don't have an answer for you. I mean, if it's connected by Bluetooth, then it's connected. If there's no power, then there's no Bluetooth connection. So I think it's probably not an electronic device. I think that it may turn on, and this is weird, but it may turn on the whether or not the earbuds were actually, if they're not physically connected to the phone, were actually a phone accessory. So like, AirPods and your iPhone, but maybe if you had a, you know, like a Bose wireless headphone and your phone, that might not be the case. And I say that because 
in the case of um, Grzelak, uh, the court says that it's essentially part of the phone because an, a device may include an earpiece. So if the only way that he can come to the conclusion that an earpiece meets the definition is because it's included as part of a device, then whether or not the earbud or earphones that are being worn are part of a device as opposed to an independent product that can connect with a device, I think that could potentially be the deciding factor. Okay. You, I you just think it's it? getting, I, get, I think it's just getting ridiculous. Well, it is getting ridiculous. All this distracted driving law is super ridiculous. And you know that I've said before, and I'll say again, and I'll say until I'm blue in the face and not get anywhere with it, it needs amending. And honestly, like we're in the middle of an election right now. Why is no member of a political party saying, hey, if you elect us, we'll amend the Motor Vehicle Act to make the distracted driving provisions abundantly clear so that we prohibit unsafe conduct, we allow safe conduct, and we don't create this ridiculous confusion so that courts are wondering, what's an earpiece and is it an electronic device within the meaning of the act? And if it's not an electronic device within the meaning of the act, when does it become an electronic device within the meaning of the act? Like why should courts spill judicial ink and waste time on this when the legislature could just write a clear law? I think they'd get votes if they said, we're going to clarify the law. Well, the, the liberals might get votes. I mean, the liberals created this law. The NDP have not changed it. Have they? They haven't. No. Um, so it's and identical to penalties. You know, so the, the, uh, the NDP could, could theoretically say, you know, the liberals created the law. It's led to nothing but confusion. We promise if reelected, we're going to change it. Uh, the NDP could say that. The liberals could say, you know, that the, the technology has changed. Circumstances have changed, people's vehicles have changed, uh, and we need to revisit this because we've got an ongoing problem with, you know, this and self-driving Teslas or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if the self-driving Tesla issue is really something that, uh, that. Oh, they're going to have to deal with this. They're going to yeah, have to deal with it because we've got these people who are driving Teslas where they're not sitting in the driver's seat and somehow making it drive and drinking. Yeah, but Not it's so rare that it becomes a ridiculous driver of the week every time it happens. True. <clears throat> anyway, so you think it's a you think it can be made an election issue, and I you think the lack of clarity in the law says time to change this up. I want to self-correct because I previously misled our listeners by saying the NDP has not changed the law. That's not entirely true. They did yeah. table the Motor Vehicle Amendment Act Bill 20, which passed, although parts of it that passed weren't implemented, which included a change to the distracted driving legislation, which wasn't implemented, but they tabled it at least, and said that if you have a class seven license, you can't use an electronic device rather than making it a restriction on the license. They just made it a, a blanket prohibition in the act itself. I don't know okay. that that clarifies anything. Did, did that legislation pass or was it, yes. did it fall because of the election? No? Okay. I don't know, it passed, but it's not in force and effect as far as I can tell. Has uh, been enacted, okay. Yeah, so they, they clarified nothing because people who have their, uh, their N licenses should know that they, you know, they are, affected you can have your 
your phone in your vehicle if you have an end license. You just yep. can't touch it or have it connected even through the Bluetooth, I think. You want to know one sneaky thing that they did do <laughs> what? in relation to the distract uh, in relation to that amendment? They made a change to the Motor Vehicle Act to say that um, Section 57 of the Administrative uh, Tribunals Act applies to any decision of the Superintendent of Motor Vehicles. And they didn't announce this, they didn't say anything, they haven't put it out, out publicly. But also, they can't even enforce it right now because Section 57 of the Administrative Tribunals Act puts a 60-day limitation period on filing an application for judicial review, but the court can extend the time if they're satisfied that there are grounds for relief, a reasonable explanation of the delay and no substantial prejudice or hardship will result to a person affected by the delay, fine. But also, all of the limitation periods are currently suspended. So they've got a new limitation period, and that is for judicial reviews of decisions of the superintendent's office, including ADPs and IRPs and such things. And vehicle impoundment reviews and 24-hour prohibition. And these are the appeals to BC Supreme Court. So you yes. get your decision, and now you got 60 days. It used to be wide open, 10 years. Well, I mean, it wasn't. It, there was like no. an inherent six-month limitation period on filing for judicial review. And if it was filed outside six months, then... Um, Maybe. Maybe had, you could ask the court, yeah. Yeah, you could ask the court and you could explain the delay. So now they're <clears> creating another huge, massive hurdle on the ability of somebody to appeal their decision. I, I want to get back to this decision. Yes. Um, and I want to get back to the confusion with the decision. And I want to get back to the problem that people have in British Columbia knowing what they can and cannot do with their phones right now. Mm -hmm. And I am now at the point where I have trouble advising clients. I mean, they phone, they've got a ticket. That's one thing. I'll figure it out. Um, but it's another thing for them to make the decision about what they can do. And also for police officers to try and determine what they can ticket. And I'm thinking that either the government's got to change the legislation or they're going to have to explain it to people. But they don't explain it to people. They and have historically they've lied to people about what it meant. Yeah, you can't have your phone in your cup holder. Mike Barnworth says all the mm. time. The courts are like, you can have your phone in your cup holder. Just don't play music or talk or text or use your maps. Well, Cash Heed said when they wrote the law, they had no problem with your phone sitting on your seat beside you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they didn't care if you had fifteen phones on the seat beside you. As long as you weren't, you know, picking it up and using it. Yeah. So I, I really think that it's time for the government to do probably two things. One, make the law a hell of a lot simpler. Two, explain it, whether in an ad campaign or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, those ad campaigns are really good at also reducing the behavior, right? If it's at the forefront of people's minds, it happens less. Well, that's interesting, actually. Um, the uh, I was reading an article um, out of Saskatchewan, uh, talking about this Scott Mo thing. Um, so if anybody isn't paying oh, attention, nice <laughs> what's that? Nice transition. What's the Scott Mo thing, Paul? Well, he's the um, the uh, premier of Saskatchewan, and of course they also have a civic election there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it has since recently come out. I mean, 
they, they, they announce who has convictions for impaired driving um, of the people who are running. So apparently a lot of people have convictions for impaired driving in Saskatchewan. Um, but uh, what's come out was that uh, he faced an impaired driving charge and fleeing the scene of an accident, yep. uh, which was ultimately stayed. It was a long time ago. It was 1994, occurred in 94, I guess. Um, anyway, it's interesting because, I mean, he's innocent until proven guilty and he's been found not guilty. They ch stayed the charge. They, uh, but of course, it doesn't. You can't prove it. Yeah, I know. But the uh, point is here, he's still being he's still being pilloried for it. But the interesting thing is the head of the Mothers Against Drunk Driving Canada mm -hmm. said, and this is a quote off CBC, but I think we know that penalties itself is not the greatest deterrent. The greatest deterrent is the likelihood of getting caught, he said. Mm -hmm. Well, now that's a completely different <clears throat> position for them because 10 years ago, all they were asking for was harsher punishment, harsher punishment, harsher punishment. And you and I have spent 10 years now Same. going on and on and on, talking on the podcast, talking to parliament, talking to radio stations and TV, uh, in newspaper interviews and writing about it, explaining that, that the fines, the penalties, they do not discourage people. Nothing discourages people like the fear of getting caught. And people persuade themselves they're not going to get caught. You know, they haven't got caught before. They're going to do it again. Uh, yeah. And it's fascinating to see that uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving have picked up the message that we were putting out. And I was attacked for this a couple of times for saying this, saying, well, you penalties don't work. pilloried. I was pilloried. Yes. Uh, yeah. But it's uh, interesting to see they've they figured it out, and of course there's studies that back it, right? Yes. Education works. Yes, of course. If you think you're going to get caught, you you are thinking about the law. You're going to make better decisions. One hopes. You know, I think most people who are angry enough to kill probably don't kill because they they know they'll probably get caught. I don't know about that. But. Anyway, I'm no fan of Scott Moe. Um, He's um, he's not nearly as bad as Jason Kenny, but he's sort of cut from the same cloth. Um, but um, you know the uh, the fascinating thing is here he is innocent until proven guilty, and now he's got to you know go on the news and explain himself uh, for something that's from 1994. Well, that's I mean that to me is ridiculous. Like. I, when at what point a little bit about this cancel culture thing that's got me angry because at what point do you get to move on with your life right like you get an impaired charge that's dropped back in the 90s and you can't move on with your life from that like you have to have that hanging over your head for the rest of time and you have to explain yourself 30 years later i mean that's just it's it, it's something wrong like i understand you know getting people holding people accountable for their behavior but there's a difference between holding somebody accountable for their behavior at or near the time that they do it versus holding them accountable for something that happened 30 years ago that they've probably learned a lot since they've probably changed their ways a lot since i mean you know maybe not all people but you know people grow and people change and uh, i don't know I was thinking about Alfred. some people don't some people don't yeah. i was thinking about that uh, uh sean bieber who taught me evidence law i don't think that guy changed 
don't you know, think he grew or improved. But I mean, has Scott Moe had lots of recent impaired driving incidents? No, and you know, again, the um, like, w- should it disqualify you from being the premier? I mean, Gordon Campbell. It was twenty two thousand three that he got his impaired in Hawaii, right? And Mothers Against Drunk Driving called for him to step down as a consequence, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't. Uh, and you know, he pled guilty, um, and they wanted him to resign. And uh, there's an interesting thing because. As a result of the fact that he didn't resign, they basically had him over the barrel. Uh, and when they, the superintendent of motor vehicles and Colin Hansen presented the IRP scheme, he was not in a position to say no to it because he would look like an advocate for drunks. Yeah. And so unfortunately, one of the reasons that we ended up, excuse me, with the IRP scheme is a result of the fact that Gordon got a Gordon Campbell got an impaired charge in Hawaii in 2003. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, they, they had the extortion position over him and, and they used it. I'm going to switch this topic from politicians okay. getting in trouble for impaired driving and from politicians needing to amend laws to politicians making promises about ICBC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're outside of BC, we are in a provincial election. The provincial election is being largely overshadowed by everything going on in the United States. Um, the uh, provincial NDP are likely to uh, end up with a majority because the BC Liberals, which is not really the Liberal Party, it's a very conservative party, heavily connected with the federal conservatives these days, um, are quite unpalatable for various reasons yes. and of course we have a government-run car insurance company insurance corporation of bc icbc and what's going to happen with icbc icbc was created by the ndp in the 1970s like 74 or something like that and when gordon campbell was the premier he said he was never would never privatize icbc he said it was would be too much of a nightmare and it wasn't worth it politically Yep. But these days, the Liberals are floating privatizing ICBC again. Well, everybody and, sees yeah. privatization as this, this you know, fancy thing that's going to solve all of ICBC's problems. And I'm reasonably certain that if privatization were the automatic step that would solve ICBC's problems, the Liberals would have taken it during the, you know, 14 years or whatever that they were in power. Well, the thing is that it's big insurance companies from Ontario. Mm-hmm. And they're coming here. They don't want a BC office, right? They'll they'll, they'll rent some space uh, and everything, but they just want to, you know, have their head office in Ontario and sell insurance in British Columbia. And th- so they're pushing for that all the time. And there's people who are ideologically opposed to the government running anything. I mean, we have socialist car insurance, right? We've got the universal right to car insurance almost in British Columbia. You know. Um, I, I was listening to Andrew Wilkinson on the Mike Smith show uh, talking about privatizing ICBC. And one of the things that he said that just boggled my mind is that it would save everybody so much money on their car insurance. And that's not true. It would save grandma who drives her car, you know, to and from the grocery store once a week. 
and it would say, I don't know, um, the 40-year-old person who's had no previous accidents and only drives to and from work. It's not going to save people who've had a previous accident. It's not going to save people who have bad driving records. It's not going to save young people. And a lot of the like upsetness about ICBC rates recently has been how high they are for first-time drivers, people who are just getting their licenses and just getting their cars, and they have to pay $2,500 a year for insurance or $4,000 a year for insurance. They're still going to be in that position. Well, the as this, you know, the the ebb and flow of the discussion on the the, the debate on whether or not to uh, to eliminate ICBC and let it, it's not privatizing it, right? It's just eliminating ICBC and letting it go to the to the private sector from Ontario that's going to step in in a matter of, you know, they're they're ready to go. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they they always float that it's going to be cheaper. It may be cheaper for some people. The reality is they're all selling the same product. They've got to provide the same, you know, the same thing, which is insurance. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about ICBC is that they are guided by obligations of fairness that are imposed upon the government. Insurance companies are also guided by obligations of fairness imposed upon them by the court, but it's not the same. No. And so I'm not, I, one of the things that also strikes me is that I had all of these liberals telling me, I said, we're never going to privatize ICBC. We wouldn't even talk about it. We wouldn't even think about it. And here we are. I mean, it's the liberals are desperate when they're talking about, you know, eliminating the PST when we <laughs> need that money to be able to like fucking pay to survive um, yeah. and uh, privatizing ICBC. I think they know that they haven't got a, a hope in hell and that they're just going to pro promise anything this time just to try and hang on to some seats. Promise, promises, promises, promises. Yeah. It's a lot, there's a lot of promising in this election. A lot more promising than we've seen before. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 those two promises are those, you know, the ICBC isn't a promise. It's a, it's a float thing. They wouldn't want to promise it because they know they would alienate too many people. Um, but um, the PST uh, is just the desperation one. Yeah, and floating also, ICBC is is also a desperation one. There are also promises, though, from the NDP about ICBC. Oh, I know, and th this is absolutely disturbing to me, because there, you know, here's David Eby now saying, "Oh, we're going to reduce your rates. Uh, vote, elect us, and we're going to reduce your rates." Well, I mean, come on, for fuck's sake, you guys have been running it. Yeah, you promised us that you were going to reduce our rates. Um, my rates did not go down. They've gone up. I yep. have a. I have not had a ticket. I haven't had an at fault accident. I haven't had but, a claim except like uh, my car having been hit in a hit and run. It's not just rates though. They're also promising to give people rebates on. You know, we saved so much money during COVID. We're going to give you some money back, but not until after the election and only if we're reelected. Yeah, and they were asked that before the election, and they said they couldn't do it. Exactly. They said they couldn't do it. Everybody knew how much money they were saving. Everybody was saying, you got to do something. Walk back your, you know, your, your at-fault thing or whatever. And nope. No, 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 no. But now they want to buy your vote because you're going to get $33 in the mail. And somebody actually asked John Horgan about that 
they said, you know, these people are going to get like $33 back. Do you think that's really going to make a big difference? He's like, well, $33 is a lot of money if you don't have it. Sure. $33 is a lot of money if you don't have it. I agree. But I already spent it. <laughs> I already spent it, first of all. And people overpaid on their insurance, given the savings during COVID, way more than $33. Because nobody's paying $33 a month. And we were basically like shut down for eight weeks. Yep. Claims went way down. Yep. Way, way down. Claims were down. Um, Accidents were down. But there's also probably fewer people insured, maybe. I don't know. Maybe some people park their cars. I kept my 16 cars. Yeah, I kept my car fully insured and stared at it out the window while I was quarantined. Well, there you go. <laughs> it was there. I could see it. Nobody broke into it, thankfully. Then they would have had to pay for it. <laughs> well, ICBC would have. Yeah. Anyway, the uh, yeah, I've been thinking about the election and thinking about my ongoing complaint about advertising in the election. And I noticed that they, uh, ICBC is running ads and these are information ads. Mm. And the information ads are about the uh, Doring fine. So we talked about this before on the podcast too. The Doring fine has gone up now to $368. $368. I was actually talking to Mike Smith about it. Amazing amount of money for they this. The but, election when we got interrupted. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. But I, I mean, I think it's an election issue. See, I, you know, my theory all along has been uh, there, there's no justification for making this one change to the fines when it's $109 to cross a double solid line on a highway, right? Yep. And what? it's 360, like at, at 110 kilometers an hour. To run a stop sign. Yeah, $167 to do, run a red light. You want to go uh, three kilometers an hour over the speed limit? No problem. 196 bucks. Yep. I don't understand so why got... they add points. <clears throat> well, I, I can understand that it's like 368 for this. I have no problem with that. I just think that it's like a heavy disconnect with the other stuff. But they're running ads right now to tell people about it. And that's fine. It's an information campaign. They often don't run information campaigns. And they're running as many information campaigns as they possibly can. And of course, you know, it's easy to justify it with COVID. Mm -hmm. But the information campaign for this right now, to me, is kind of hard to justify. To me, I think, as I said before, I think this is throwing a bone to people who might be Green Party supporters, the cyclist community. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some discussion in cyclist community chat rooms or something like this, oh, complaining about it. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, you and I know that we've been attacked on Twitter before for, you know, saying anything adverse about cyclists. Um, <clears throat> but I think that this, excuse me, I have, I'm getting over a cold. Um, I think us running this ad campaign, I think it, you know, is arguably not political. Uh, but I think, you know, there's, there's also an angle there that it could be viewed as political and it could be, you know, taxpayer spending. It's really information. Like it's clear that it's informational. So they've got a good, you know, it's plausibly deniable mm -hmm. that Doroshenko isn't right. But <laughs> the one, you know, I always think I'm right. The one change to the, to the fines, there's only one change to fines. It doesn't affect drivers, which would piss off drivers, mm -hmm. um, except people who door. And it's like, looks like the gift to the cyclists. I don't know. I think that was 
I think that was all politics. And the fact that they're running ads for it right now is also all politics. Yeah, I mean, it's plausibly deniable enough that nobody can officially call them out for it. But you're probably right. I mean, you're going to think about what ads you're running. What's going to, you know, appeal to a demographic? I don't know. Yep. Ads that are run that are paid for by you and me. Speaking of people who should be on their bicycles, <laughs> it's time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. You, you don't sound so excited. Yeah, I'm just thinking about if it's a ridiculous driver I'm thinking of right now, they may not be able to ride a bicycle in the future. Yeah, well, they should have thought about that before they got behind the wheel of a Porsche. Um, so this was four teenagers who were driving, um, where was it? Lansdowne Avenue? It's in Ontario. Yeah, okay. It was like there's a Lansdowne in Victoria. Because they, they hit a hydro pole. I think right. it was in Toronto. Yeah, high-speed crash, four teenagers, three o'clock in the morning, speeding in a Porsche, slammed into a hydropole, and sheared the car in half. Yeah. Which is insane. Is in Toronto. Yeah. So that's quite the, uh, quite the problem for those kids. They're actually, it's, I mean, it's kind of shitty because they're, they're not well. As a result, well, then nobody's in critical condition. Um, there, one was severely injured, and that was the driver who who uh, apparently lost their foot. Somebody wrote back to me when I posted that on Twitter and said, uh, "It's Canada, and we use metric, so it would be his meter." <laughs> I was going to say, "Is there a lead foot joke in there?" Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't make fun yeah. of a child that loses their foot, but also, yeah. who gives a child Gruesome, gruesome and sad. Um, yeah. So, man, split in half. Like the front is right off of this car. Yeah, and it's Google, uh, it's one of those Panameras or something. Yeah, if you Google it, the the pictures are pretty intense. What's left of the Porsche has been seized as evidence. <laughs> good luck getting anything from it other than the black box which probably didn't you know the event oh. recorder probably doesn't have much useful information either uh, i think you can look at the at the extent of the wreck and uh come to the conclusion fairly easily that speed was a factor <laughs> speed was a factor <laughs> i'm not a forensic collision reconstructionist but i've seen enough accident pictures to know speed was a factor the uh, the tail lights are still on. I don't think it's a flash from the camera. It looks like the tail lights are still on in this thing. This is well after the accident, and and the passengers have been uh, have been extricated from it. Um, and the tail lights have remained on. If you're building a Porsche, you want to make sure that the tail lights are good quality because when you smash one of those tail lights, it's going to cost you like eight hundred dollars to replace it. Eight hundred? Are you kidding? Oh, no. Probably more like forty-eight hundred for a taillight lens in a Porsche. Forty-eight hundred dollars? Who has that kind of money? Yeah, well, Jeez. somebody can afford to buy a Porsche Panamera and leave the keys around so their teenagers can go for a spin at three in the morning. Yeah, or you know, give it to them for that purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? 
anyway, that is the, uh, they are the ridiculous driver. Well, the driver, I guess, the now one lost a foot driver yep. is the ridiculous driver of the week. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I feel, you know, sorry for that person. They lost a foot. I did stupid things when I was a teenager too. And I would hate to have lost a foot out over it. Um, you the, probably uh, close. What's that? You probably came close to losing body parts as a teenager. Oh my gosh. Um, yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I was like, I, I thought my 78 Datsun, you know, I would, I would squint my eyes a little bit and pretend that it was a Porsche. Sort of blur them. And go, boom, boom. There you um, go. I actually had a uh, Porsche for a little while when I was a teenager, and I came very close to dying. Um, yeah, but, um, so who are you to judge? Well, I, that's the thing. Um, but, uh, and so I'm not, I'm not overly judgmental, I would say. But uh, that's pretty bad. Uh, it's worth Googling that one because that really is the ridiculous driver of the week. Can you hear that? There was, a, there was another one in Vancouver that was uh, um, a Porsche SUV that the VPD were tweeting about, but I don't want to say anything about that. We'll see if you know, that driver could end up our client. Fair enough. The Ontario ones are pretty safe. Yeah, not likely they're walking in the door. <laughs> walking? Speaking Sorry, that was really bad. Now I'm I'm, I'm transitioning into the end of the podcast. Okay, good. That's the end of our podcast. Oh, there you are. Yeah, and if you have a driving law related issue and you want to become our client or consult with us or you're a lawyer and you want to ask about your client, give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 